New ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Dr. Nadia Abu Nabut. She is a professor of interactive marketing and social media at WU Vienna and an expert on programmatic advertising and quality issues in display advertising. We'll be discussing a recently published paper concerning the overwhelming number of targeting options available to marketers in digital marketing and how they can assess the value of targeting different audience segments before they buy them. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Targeting, it's what marketing people love about digital advertising. In the old world of TV, the joke was spray and pray. So intellectually, it makes a lot of sense. Only show the advertisement to the people who are interested in my product at voila, better results. It's intuitive and so pleasing that people really don't question it very much. But there are a dizzying array of options out there. So how do you know who to target really? Which is why the research that you and your colleagues conducted and what you've come up with is so interesting to me. First off, targeted ads. They're touted as more effective than non-targeted ads as a broad statement. And obviously, we're going to dive into the nuance during our conversation. But broadly speaking, is that true? Has research shown that targeting tends to be more effective? I think so, yes. The literature on targeting did show that targeted ads are more, slightly more effective than non-targeted ads. I guess that's what you would also expect. Right. Most papers looked at behavioral targeting and retargeting. There are a lot of papers on that, but yeah. Generally, okay. I would say, yes, there is some uplift. Okay. And as part of your work, you spoke with several industry experts in the world of targeting. And did they all operate in the same way when they were approaching targeting? No, I was surprised to hear that everybody had their own strategy. Some of them were just saying, okay, I'll put everything on broad and not target at all, and then let the algorithm determine who's who will see the ad. Others said, yes, of course, I'm always behaviorally targeting uh, very narrowly depending on the product. Uh, Some said it really depends on the context and the industry and the product itself. They had so many different strategies and there was not one strategy that everybody was following. I think that's maybe that's what one might expect, but I was a little bit surprised that that the range was so broad. Well, I think what's interesting there is for people out there working in smaller businesses, there is more than one approach, even among Mm. these experts. And what we're talking about today helps people understand how they might deliver more bang for their marketing buck and also Mm -hmm. understand that there is variation, that there isn't Mm -hmm. one way to approach it. And they're not crazy if they come into a new job, new situation. If their approach has worked for them, their approach might work Mm -hmm. for them. But speaking of bang for buck... What are the ways in which targeting can expect to interact with profit? What are the different factors that should be baked into thinking about the profitability or the bang for the buck? What what goes in there? We already talked about the effectiveness. There is usually you would expect an increase in click-through rate. You would expect an increase in the conversion rate. And sometimes you might also reach consumers that generate more profits or buy higher margin products or more frequently. So that's 
the one side uh, that targeting does, but it also is usually more expensive because you have to sometimes pay something on top of your CPM, the cost per mill. So you have some costs for targeting. And of course, the reach goes down because this that's what is intended. The segment is smaller than the overall population of users. And that's why the reach of the that you have for your ad that goes down as well. And those factors, they're opposing factors. You have the effectiveness supposedly going up, but costs and the reach work against that. Right. And so the idea is, is the impact so good that it wipes out those costs? So this is this is the big this is the big question. And you decided to test it and also create a model that would allow marketers to test it and determine break-even performance. How did you define break-even performance? What did you what was the benchmark that you selected? So the benchmark that we selected is a an untargeted campaign because I think it's easy to derive the break-even performance if your benchmark is to make profits, mm-hmm. profits at all, be positive. But it gets a bit, little bit more difficult, all the equations and stuff, if your comparison is an untargeted campaign. And I guess that's what the comparison is. Should If I run an ad, should I be running a broad campaign? Pain, or should I be buying some audience segments? And that's why we selected the broad campaign as a benchmark. So is it possible if you use the model to avoid doing trials and tests that you have to pay for? At least we can narrow down the options. I think to eventually figure out whether something is more profitable than a narrow campaign. If a segment is more profitable than a narrow campaign, campaign, you will have to test it in a randomized controlled trial. But what we are doing is we have so many options usually in terms of the audience segments that we can buy, and we narrow the options down here with our model because we tell the advertisers, okay, for this segment, you would need a lift of, let's say, 300% to be more profitable than the untargeted campaign. But for this other segment, your lift would only be, I don't know, percent. so you would need to double the performance. And that's what we do with a model. We're, we're giving advertisers a little bit information to decide which segments to test at all, right? Uh, because right. you cannot test all of them. Right. So one of the important things that that you use is this measuring stick to help evaluate one segment mm-hmm. against another are mm-hmm. the, the click-through rates because increases in click-through rates have, have been studied pretty well. Mm-hmm. What does the existing literature tell us about targeting and click-through rates? So most of the literature says that the, the literature that we've been looking at is that the click-through rate doesn't even double. Doubling of the click-through rate is not realistic uh, to see that, which is not so much. And we'll probably come to it later when we look at the lifts that would be required for targeting to be profitable. Right. And so so just so people can have it in their heads, if we narrow our segmenting way down, and so the segment only reaches 5% of the population, what would that mean in terms of 
increase in click-through rates? So for narrow segments, we would need an increase in click-through rate of over 146%. The segments that have a reach smaller than 5% of the original population, really, really small segments, they require a lift of 146%, almost 150 So realistically, just on the face of it, doing just knowing that, is that usually possible? I would say difficult. I've heard on LinkedIn some people saying that that, that that they've achieved great lifts with some of their targeting strategies. But from what I've read in the literature and from what I've heard from other people in the industry, that's very often not realistic. No, sometimes for retargeting, people claim that they can achieve it with retargeting. But yeah. Mm. Well, and in the paper, you do discuss a technique that can mitigate some of the narrow audience limitations, topping up. Can you share some of the pros and cons of topping up? When you top up, what you do is you kind of, and probably a lot of advertisers already do that, you kind of combine different segments together to make the audience bigger. So you have the option to make them smaller by, I don't know how I would call that approach, but by narrowing down it even more. But we do the opposite. We combine, for example, honey lovers and healthy eating fans or something like that. Segments that are similar and target a similar audience, you could combine them to make the audience a bit broader. And that allows you to make the reach bigger. And that affects the the required lift. The lift won't be as high as it would be if you target a segment on its own. But one of the things, and you mentioned this with regard to Spotify, where you did do some topping up, Mm -hmm. and in narrow segments, you have data problems become amplified, and then you can end up where you're like, this on the face of it, we know it is wrong. Can you just explain that? Yeah, that's true. If you have two narrow segments and you have a data provider that is not very reliable, then combining those will make matters worse because data problems are already uh, affecting the performance lift. The required lift needs to be a lot higher already for narrow segments. If you combine two narrow segments, these problems get amplified and that's a problem. Yeah. So if you're not sure about how good the data provider is and the data that the audience segments are built on, then maybe that's not something I would do. And then I wouldn't target narrow segments as well because they're affected in really bad ways. So another thing you discuss, and this is important, is Apple's app tracking transparency framework mm-hmm. and what it has done to data accuracy. And I know this has been written about broadly, but to make sure we have a complete conversation here, can you mm-hmm. summarize that just so people understand what Apple's done and what it means? Yeah. Yeah, it was in April 21, and they then require that users need to, or it allows users to opt out of third-party tracking. And that essentially means if users opt out of third-party tracking, then we don't know a lot of stuff about those users, which makes data quality that includes those users or segments that, that include those users, they're not really reliable. There's a lot of things that, that we don't know about them, and that is problematic in terms of data quality. Mm. And so one of the things, again, sort of LinkedIn conversation, people have said, oh, well, so this implies, you know, people should be really beefing up their own first party data. But what are some of the limitations to just, you know, just regular company off the street, their own first party data? What might be some limitations to that? Why it wouldn't replace this third party data? 
Oh, that's a difficult question, I guess. The biggest problem is that most small companies probably can't do that. It okay. requires a lot of knowledge. It requires, you need people to who know how to do that, how to collect that data, how to store that data, what to do with the data. And probably for smaller companies, that's not something that is, yeah, that is, that is available to them. Right. That puts bigger companies at an advantage, of course. And yeah. So... Uh, is this problem, I mean, obviously that's Apple, but on the horizon, is that going to be an increasing problem, do you mm-hmm. predict? Yeah, I, I think so, because we see all those regula- regulations changing, they're becoming stricter and stricter, which affects quality of uh, third-party data. And then again, we have all those browsers that say they want to end or they're going to end the, 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 the possibility to, to track data and all of that will affect the the data that is the basis of all those audience segments right and of course it will make yeah it will make quality of those segments worse and this disproportionately affects not narrow segments more so that's the, the big problem well if but meta and tiktok have pretty huge data lakes and they do own them and they do have have stuff <laughs> who are very who are capable will they be impacted or is this just going to make them more powerful and also from a marketer's point of view more useful advertising is being increasing on tiktok they have pretty profound ways mm-hmm. to understand the behaviors yeah. of their their users mm-hmm. do you see that those platforms are going to become just more and more powerful or do you think this legislation will also impact them no, it might impact them, but for them, it's mainly first-party data, right? The world right. gardens all have their own yeah. possibilities to track data, and yeah, even if they can track data off off their own site, they still have a lot of data that they generate about their users every day. But of course, regulations uh, mm. could also affect them. I've heard that Facebook is thinking about having a paid version in in Europe. I don't know where I read that, but yeah. Uh, That would be interesting. I wonder how that, I mean, that just would be an interesting wrinkle Mm -hmm. across the board in terms of when we think about free and use and subscriptions and all that. That's fascinating. We'd love to see where that goes. Broadly speaking, we've mentioned behavioral in terms of targeting. Just again, to get everybody who's listening on the same page, what are the different types of targeting and why are we focusing on behavioral here? Um, So the model can actually be used for any type of targeting that reduces the audience size, whether that's uh, contextual, uh, behavioral data. I don't know. It can be anything, demographic, whatever. But there's a lot of research on behavioral targeting. That's why we use this a lot in the paper as an example. Okay. And the industry has relied on that for for many years now. That's why it's so prominent. But actually, the, the model applies to any kind of targeting that reduces the audience size, however that is done. I see. You mentioned in the paper that there was research in behavioral targeting and it showed impressive results, 670% click-through rates. Mm. But you Mm. question that figure. Can you explain why? Yes, because it kind of, it missed 
the problem that there is that this is not the causal effect because in those 600% are people that even without the ad would have bought the product it's the same uh, problem that you have when you google something and then you put a brand you put your ad on a branded keyword search for example someone is searching for nike and then you'll see a nike ad that person will probably buy even if there is no ad and the 600% in that paper has all those people who would have bought anyway even without seeing an ad those are in there as well and that's why it sounds so impressive but yeah that's the problem with it right so in that sense there is an element of click through as a is it a vanity metric or is it a useful metric hard to say i guess Mm, click-through rate gets criticized for a lot of good reasons because it's not what we want as marketers. At market, as marketers, we want sales at the end of the day, probably, and profits. Right. But very often, what I see is that sometimes we don't have enough information about the rest. And because sales happen, especially in some industries, uh, sales happen very infrequently. Uh, and then it's very hard to estimate any conversions or differences in conversion rates between different targeting strategies. And that's why sometimes we do rely on click-through rate knowing that it's not an ideal metric. And then there's a lot of uh, fraud, of course, click fraud going on that makes it even uh, more complicated. Hmm. Um, yeah, right. I would say it's okay. it's not well, an ideal yeah. metric, but sometimes if it's that's better all than nothing. Not, <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, you ran a test with an agency placing Facebook mm-hmm. ads. Can you mm-hmm. share the headline of what was tested and what you discovered? We tested three different targeting strategies, one where there was almost no targeting, only for the region, Vienna region, and two different targeting strategies, one broad, one narrow. And none of them was more profitable than the untargeted campaign, unfortunately. And that opens up the question, okay, why is that? Could we have done any better with any other targeting strategy? And why did that happen? Why weren't we able to generate more? Was the agency surprised by the results? I would say probably yes, because that's the type of targeting that they really would have run themselves. That's, as we say in the title, it's agency selected. And they, of course, they were surprised that the strategy that they would follow is not ideal. So there was no significant difference between them all. Was there any any difference between them? Was narrow targeting any better than broad targeting, any better than the the no targeting? Or was it really, gee, so close, it's indistinguishable? Directionally, the targeted ads or the targeted campaigns worked slightly better. The effects that you see on CTR in our table, they're positive, but they're not significant. There is no significant difference between those all between the uh, three targeting strategies. Which so if we think case, back to earlier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Earlier yeah. in the conversation where we're like, do you get enough bang for your buck? The answer would yeah. be no in this situation. Not mm-hmm. really. So in addition to working with the agency and placing ads on Facebook, you evaluated 
using Spotify's targeting, the the free ad supported platform. Yeah. And and what did you find in that? We used the Spotify data to calculate all those break-even performances. How high would the lift need to be for the targeted uh, campaigns to be uh, more profitable than the untargeted one? And what we find there is that the lift needs to be extremely high, especially for the interest segments, there is also segments uh, called real-time context and genres. And all of those really require a pretty big lift in, in, in effectiveness and CTR to be more profitable than the untargeted campaign. And given what the literature tells us, unrealistically high. Probably those lifts will not materialize if you run the campaigns. Okay which is super interesting and important for people to understand. And here's also where things get a little bit tricky because this is an audio medium. You've built a formula that marketers can use to model how a target selection would work. This this break-even, this is sort of where we're we're getting Mm -hmm. to the point here. And the paper has the model and we'll have a link to the paper in the show notes so that people can can look at this on paper, which is really where you sort of need to get it. So we're going to speak in now in two big chunks. And first, just going through the information you as a marketer would need to gather together in order Mm -hmm. to use the model. And then we'll Mm -hmm. jump ahead in terms of what the model will be flagging for you so you would understand it if you've, you've gathered this data together. Together, you've handed it off to somebody in your group who knows how to do the math and then what you'd be looking at. So let's talk about the, the inputs to the model. Yeah. So what you would need to know is you would have you you would need to run an untargeted campaign first, or at least have some estimates from similar campaigns or whatever what an untargeted campaign achieves in terms of the margins that you would generate with it. Probably you could plug in some average margin for your products. You would need a a conversion rate for an untargeted campaign and the click-through rate for an untargeted campaign. As I said, you can have them from running such an untargeted campaign or maybe from some similar campaigns where you believe you'll get similar results. Okay. Then you'll need the data costs associated with a segment, which is usually when you set up a targeted campaign, the the campaign management system will tell you whether you have to pay something on top or not. You would need to you, you would need the CPM or the untargeted campaign as well as well as the CPM if you target. Sometimes that also differs when you do targeting. And then you would need, but that's also usually provided by the campaign management system. That's all parameter delta, that's the decrease in reach. The system will tell you whether if, let's say, an untargeted campaign has a million users that it can reach. If you select targeting segment honey lovers, that will decrease the reach to, I don't know, 10,000 or whatever. Right, uh, right. And that decrease needs to be plugged in as well. And that's the numbers you need. Okay. So if you have, you've gathered those numbers together, you can then plug them into the equation. And what do you what do you find out? What are so they've they've what what number? What do I get out of this, and how do I look at it? What you get is uh, the break-even performance needed to make the targeted campaign at least as profitable as the untargeted one, and that mean the number will be, for example. Uh, or whatever. If you look at figure three in our paper, that has those lifts that we calculated for different segments. That's what you'll get 
from the equation. In that case, it's even translated into a CTR. For that, we've put some assumptions on the equation, and then you have a metric that is a bit easier to interpret compared to the performance lift. So the CTR lift would be, for example, four times as large, three times as large as the untargeted campaign and so on. That's what you get from the... So you understand that you need to, you will need to achieve Mm -hmm. or it will generate, you need to achieve an order. Okay. Yes. And then you, as a marketer, what you could do with it is you could now calculate these things for all the segments that interest you. And then you could, for example, order them according to their lift. We say in the paper, because the literature on targeting shows that anything beyond doubling the click-through rate is not realistic, maybe you discard them immediately. If your experience tells you, no, 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 I can achieve such a high lift, then keep them in, 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 in your a spreadsheet or whatever. But what I would, what this helps you with, it makes you aware of the lift that is required and helps you to understand, okay, or judge uh, whether that's something you should try or whether that's a segment that you should, that you should keep your fingers off. Right. And one of the things that you mention in the paper is the nature of the relationship, that things aren't straight line relationships. Can you explain sort of how that works? Yeah. So I think what you're referring to figure one, and I think that's a really important figure in the paper, and that's not directly obvious, I think. And and what it tells you initially, actually, in the paper, we had the wording that with a if your reach of the segment decreases, the narrower your segment is, the the higher, of course, the increase in performance is going to be that is needed to make the campaigns uh, or the targeted campaign at least as profitable as the untargeted one. And that relationship is, yeah, in the original version, we, we said it's an exponential relationship, which is not mathematically exactly true. So we had to kill it. But but in your you head, see, as you think about it, you yeah, should think yeah. just in terms of, because straight line, you can sort of, oh, well, this is a trade-off I'm okay with. But, yeah. but in fact, it may not be mathematically exponential, yeah. but you should mm. think about it in yeah. that difficulty. Yes. It ramps up in difficulty. Best. Yeah, yeah. Narrow segments require such a lot higher increase in performance then a straight line would would make you expect. It's a lot higher than the lift that is required for a broad segment. And that's the interesting insight, I guess, that figure one shows us. And that is derived from the model. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing and walking through it. And again, the podcast show notes will have a link to the paper when that has all mm-hmm. these figures and the formulas. And it's very useful for people who want to understand what to expect, and also very interesting facts about the Facebook test and the Spotify test. Those are those are interesting things to, to know if you're a marketer and you're placing your bets. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Gabriella. It was a pleasure. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice stars who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next. <laughs>